0: profile you're listening to premier christian radio Well hello and welcome to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Sam Hales. This is the show where we delve into a person's life, faith and ministry and it's brought to you in association with the UK's leading Christian magazine, Premier Christianity. If you would like a free sample copy of our latest issue, just go to our website, premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample, type your details in and we would be delighted to send you a free copy of the latest issue. But today here on The Profile, I'm speaking to Tim Matthews. Tim leads Love Church in Bournemouth, also known as St. Swithin's and St. Clement's. He was previously an accountant and lived in London. Him and his wife, Debbie, served on the clergy team of Holy Trinity Brompton, also known as HTB, for six years Tim loves surfing, DIY, and spending time with his wife and his three children. And Tim, it's great to have you on the show today.
1: Well, it's great to be here, Sam. Thank you so much. I'm not sure I'm ready to have you delve into my life, but uh, <laughs> let, let's go for it well, nonetheless. Let's,
0: let's start with the most important issue. Is it really true that you love
1: DIY? <laughs> you know what? It actually it actually is. Yeah, we've, we've had a bit of a project on in the garden at the moment. You know, I never thought I'd be gardening. If someone had said to me, oh, you know, Tim, you're going gonna to enjoy gardening, I'd have just thought, kill me now, <laughs> you know. But, um, yeah, we, we love it. We inherited a, um, not literally, you know, we moved into a, a place that the back garden was just a total jungle. I mean, a total jungle. So sort of merrily cutting down trees and, uh, you know, constructing tree houses for so the that's kids. That's your and project now. It's brilliant, yeah.
0: Can you give me any tips at all? Because I'm one of those terrible people. Well, on I'm DIY. I'm
1: terrible. I'm absolutely <laughs> awful. I don't know why. Is it one of those things where either you've got it or you don't? No. M- my tip is get someone else in. <laughs> Uh, because it's been the bane of my life. (laughs) Uh, But um, I do it because I enjoy it. You know, it's so different to... You know sitting in front of a computer or um, talking to people or you know church, i think we all need those things in life where we can kind of unplug yeah. for me mostly that's been water sports you know i mean oh. i love water sports and but there's plenty of that down in bournemouth
0: well as much as i'd love to conduct a one hour interview about diy we are here to talk about your new book <laughs> uh, it's called love church Join the adventure of hope and it's out now it's really all about how you planted a new church in bournemouth but you know i mean some would say look church plants happen all the time so so why, why the book, why are you sitting down and writing this? What makes it
1: different? Well, um, it, it, I'd never had it in mind to write a book. Um, what happened down in Bournemouth was quite unusual in that uh, four years ago we started with uh, there was Debbie and I and our three young kids with nine other adults. Uh, one of one of those couples had a baby. That was great. That was church growth. Baby right there. Um, <laughs> one of the others got a cat. We counted the cat. Uh, you know, But that was the starting group four years ago. And now we look around um, many Sundays, there's 600 plus worshippers across two sites. Loads of services, all these ministries, all these groups, all these, you know, the gospel being done and felt and experienced, and we just think, wow, you know, what, what's yeah. happening? It's quite unusual. Yeah, and and so people said to us, look, you should really write write some of this story down. Um, and I started doing that. To be honest, just for the fun of it, it was kind of cathartic uh, uh, to to do that um and other people began reading some of that as i began talking about it and saying oh that's really encouraging um and yeah eventually we we turned it into a, a book i think there's a lot of energy now going into church planting around the the nation which is so exciting uh, so yeah i hope it encourages and uh you know, I've tried to be really honest about all the mm. stuff we got wrong, Franklin. Most of it is full of all the stuff we got wrong. It's a bit like my <laughs> DIY, okay, you know. And- we'll have to talk more about that as we go on. But here on, here on the profile,
0: we always like to go back to a person's uh, early life, basically. I understand your dad was a Church of England vicar. So, yeah. so growing up, was it kind of always apparent that you'd follow in his footsteps? Uh,
1: no, you know, and that was something I resisted uh, for the longest time. Uh, in fact, when it when it came to getting ordained, I was merrily as you mentioned earlier. I was merrily working in the city of London at that time as an accountant, um, and I was kind of horrified by the idea that God might be calling me to get ordained and become a vicar. You know, I just had such a negative preconception about that, and it wasn't because my dad. You know, my my dad's a, a lovely man, and uh, but it was the notion of like you know being caught in churches that are that are are stone cold and austere and you know all those negative preconceptions about church that i think many of us carry um but the thank god is actually becoming increasingly rare now as more and more lively churches are Mm. around but i yeah i think i carried that and um i resisted it Mm. because of because of that um, so you
0: re- you resisted a kind of I guess a call to ultimately church plant, but but when you were when you were younger, did you have like a very strong faith kind of growing up in a in a Christian family?
1: Well, I grew up in a, a stable, uh, loving uh, family home. Uh, my uh, just me, my sister, my my mum and dad. There was one thing. My dad um, church planted himself onto a council estate just outside Leicester, mm. in this tiny. Community room in the middle of that estate. It had a tin roof. Uh, It was freezing cold in winter. And when it rained, I mean, you literally couldn't hear, there wasn't any PA or anything. When it rained, no one could hear anything because it was so loud on that tin roof. And most of the time, you know, my mum would just try and keep us quiet, you know, by feeding us sweets, me and my sister. Uh, But I remember one Sunday when I got upset for some reason or other. And I ran forward to the to the front and my dad was just about to start preaching and I sat on my dad's foot and I wrapped my arms around his leg and I just clung on for dear life, you know, <laughs> expecting my mum to kind of come and remove me. But, you know, my dad didn't bless him. He, he just let me sit there and gave his sermon. He yeah, read out the Bible and gave his sermon with me sat on his foot. And that sit, one single memory uh, stayed with me because it, kind of epitomised so much, I think, about the the father heart of God, the love of God, that is really what we're supposed to encounter when we go to church. You know, church isn't about so many of the things we make it about. It's about a family of people through which we can encounter the father heart of God, God in in his love. And, uh, yeah, I think that saved it for me. You know, that single episode meant so much to me.
0: I understand your gap year was in Mexico. Yeah, Tell me more about that.
1: Yeah, well... Uh, I was I'd, I'd got into surfing as a teenager, right? So I uh, grew up in Guildford. Guildford doesn't have any There's surf. Not much surfing um, in Guildford, I know that. But for a there fact. were a group of us who, anyway, we, I, we got into surfing and we, we used to um, go down to mushy waves on the south coast in places like East Wittering. And <laughs> um, um, I wanted a gap year. I think I'd had quite a safe upbringing, you know, and I wanted to do something a bit different, as you know, teenagers do of that age. And my friends found in the back of Surfer magazine this little advert uh, saying there was a, a Christian missions called Surfers for Missions International, and they ran a six month scheme in Mexico, which was basically you know go around surf spots and learn the Bible and talk to people about Jesus. And I thought great, I, uh, and they dared me to apply. I did anyway. I ended up going. It was actually a discipleship training school, a DTS run by YWAM, a brilliant, brilliant missions agency. And there I discovered something totally different, not just in terms of the waves, uh, which were epic, and way above my skill level. So it's pretty scary, actually. Experience of being out in big waves... When you know that the only way to get back to the beach is to take off on one of these monsters, um, yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty scary. But but more so was the sort of daring, the challenge um, to do with my faith. I I, I rediscovered the the love of, of talking openly with people about Jesus. I don't know my, my I guess my upbringing being a bit middle class, you know, and it's sort of I'd sort of picked up from somewhere a bit of timidity about my faith, you know, as though it's sort of a very private thing and you don't want to bother anyone else with it Mm. um, somehow. I don't know where that came Mm. from. Um, But to get rid of that was just so freeing. Um, You know, thank God. Uh, And I met some amazing, amazing people um, for whom the love of God and and belief in Christ was not a kind of theory or a nice add-on to their middle-class values. It was life and death.
0: Yeah. So I guess faith became a bit more kind of real for you at that point. Much
1: more real. Much more real.
0: And then you were back off to, back to university, I guess, after, yeah. the gap, after you had your fun on your gap year. Yeah. Off to do some serious studying. What's your memories of your time at university?
1: Well, I crashed and burned a bit at uni. Uh, I went to Cardiff, which is an amazing, fantastic city. Um, but when I went there, my memory of the first couple of terms is that just of, of raining. And I was, I found myself on my own. I felt like a fish out of water. You know, I suppose I'd come back from my gap year uh, with, you know, the one downside of the, the experiences I've, I'd had was that they were kind of intense, I guess, from a Christian a spiritual point of view. And I had a bit of a culture clash mm. coming back here. Um, and yeah, I found myself on my own. Uh, I started making some bad choices Um, in particular met a a, a young woman who kind of represented everything that I'd never uh, experienced in my safe Christian upbringing. And yeah, and and I went for it in this sort of disastrous relationship, really, that sort of chewed me up. And um, that took me a good while to recover from. Uh, In fact, it was whilst I was away between my second and third year at university, I I went and did a year in Europe. So I lived in Spain for a year. Mm. Uh, six months in Madrid, six months in Barcelona. And I broke up with this a girlfriend of the time uh, whilst I was in Barcelona. And I found myself absolutely broken. And, uh, you know, it's often said, you know, you, you never find out that uh, uh, God is all you need until God is all you've got. And that's what I found in Barcelona. I was on my own. I was I was crushed by uh, my own guilt, by my loneliness. I didn't have any money. I'd actually got thrown out of the flat that I was living in. And so I was kind of sofa surfing on loose friendships. Um, I had a guitar with me. So I, I thought, I don't have any money, not getting friends. I'll busk, right? I am I am a terrible <laughs> uh, uh, a singer and you know whatever I, I enjoy it, but I'm not that good at it. I mean, even if you
0: were, to be fair, to make a living from busking is pretty tough. I think. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Well, I don't know, but but I I, I certainly didn't. You know what my <laughs> strategy was. This is honest. I, there was one jewellery store, where really upmarket jewellery store. I knew that if I went to busk outside. The manager would immediately come out and pay me quite good money to move to just go and bust somewhere else because I was putting off his we'll his pay customers. you to
0: stop playing exactly.
1: <laughs> if that was my strategy. So that's how low my self esteem had got, you know.
0: So. Um you know, you'd, you'd had this amazing experience, like you said. You'd come back from Mexico, I guess, a bit kind of on fire for God. Yeah. And you'd seen amazing things happen. And then, as you say, when you, when you hit university, it kind of all went wrong. I mean, I've heard, I've heard stories like that from other people. If you can go away and have the most amazing spiritual time beyond this high, and yet when you kind of come back to reality, rather than that spiritual fervour carrying on, somehow the, the place and culture of the time actually eats you up. It goes in almost the wrong direction. What do you attribute that to?
1: Yeah, I think it's a mix of factors for uh, different people. I mean, one thing I do know is that uh, it's why the student ministry is such an important thing uh, in our nation, and certainly in Bournemouth, we it was one of the first things we invested into uh, was really um, Bournemouth's a big university town. Uh, somewhere between twenty and thirty thousand students um, go there, and evangelizing and discipling the the student population is just really important a lot of people I think experience what I experienced which actually is the loneliness mm. um, you, that you, you it's, it's hard to form really meaningful friendships there's a lot of people you can go out and get drunk with yeah. that's easy um, but, but finding meaningful uh, friendships people you can really do life with and who will support you and you can support them doing all that I think is um, is hard to find in a kind of mm. Immediately constructed community. Mm. Uh, it, it's why we we partner with uh, Fusion, uh, who I think are, are, is a really uh, critical m- m- uh, missions and you know much more than just mission agency. But uh, their, their lead with that group um, in the UK, I think, is is just fantastic. Yeah. So we're partnering with them. But um, yeah, I think for myself, uh, uh, they're in in. Barcelona. I had to discover that God was actually real f- for me personally, and that He still loved me when I was at my worst. You know, I think I still had that thing of uh, perfor- a bit of a performance mindset. Like, if if I could be really good mm. uh, and, and keep being good, then God would love me. Yeah, I'd be one of His favorites, and we could do great stuff together. Um, I think I had to discover, and I think actually we all at some point or other need to discover that, you know what, I'm just a sinner saved Mm. by grace like everybody else. Absolutely. And uh, that's the beginning of all things good.
0: Mm. So the busking thing didn't work out. No.
1: So what came next? No, my busking career was, uh, uh, fortunately for the world, (laughs) short-lived. Well, I returned from Barcelona a new man, I think. I was a bit of a prodigal. Uh, in that sense, I suppose Sam and, and you know I discovered the love of God that in a life-transforming way, and I th- I wanted to make the most of that third year mm. at university and and you know I I wanted it because I felt called to it and and I said there was something within me there was a drive a new drive there so I really gave myself to it and uh, did really well. Was surprised at the end of it. I got hauled into my professor's office and asked why I hadn't applied for the PhD program. Well, you know, I'd, I'd never, uh, uh, it had never crossed my mind to do so. Anyway, he said there was this PhD program and really wanted me to join. So yeah, I then joined a research group and and uh, did a PhD in three years. What there, was the PhD in? Uh, in uh, psychology, in social social psychology. Uh, applying that to within business science and you know I, I it was an indulgence in in many ways i got to read all this fascinating um models of of, of social psychology I'd learned a lot about how i worked how people worked how uh, relationships between people work and and the research was about applying that to the business world um but yeah i decided eventually decided Professional academia wasn't for me, and that's when I went into yeah. accountancy. Went
0: into accountancy, working in the city of London.
1: Yeah, and then came... Well, I started off in Cardiff, actually, oh, okay. and then transferred to um, to London. I'd, I'd got involved with a really great church. Um, by that stage, I lived just outside Newport, and um, there was a, a great community church there um, that was... It, 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 they helped me sort of rediscover um, church a bit, I think, you know, they weren't interested in the shiny stuff that it was just mm. doing life. Yeah. Uh, warts and all. And, and that, at, at that point in my life yeah. was, was really attractive. Felt real.
0: So tell me the story of how you met your wife, Debbie.
1: <laughs> well, this is a bit of a dodgy one. A dodgy okay? one. Well, it's a dodgy in respect of, I met my wife, Debbie, when I was 17 and she was 11. Oh, it was not romantic. Ooh. It was not romantic <laughs> at that stage. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Certainly, from my direction I, how it worked. I was actually um, uh, helping on a team that that runs camps for you know christian kids camps uh, they 're what a brilliant thing that is and um, yeah, I was on the the team i was I was the potato peeler the ju- the most junior team member, <laughs> debbie and her sister were on that. Uh, camp. They're from Liverpool, so there was these two sort of Liverpudlian Scouser uh, kids. They were they were kind of annoying, but really fun. <laughs> they had shell suits. They wore shell suits that apparently weren't matching, but in my memory, they were matching shell shell suits. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't until years later when, with the same family of of camps, um, I ended up on a ski doing a ski holiday on team doing a ski holiday for teenagers. Um, and then we took a coachload of teenagers out to Switzerland. And Debbie happened to be on that team as well. So
0: she was on team. She wasn't a teenager at this point. No, 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 okay. no. She
1: was 23 by this stage. Okay. So
0: the age gap was no longer. Uh... The age. Well, uh, <laughs> I was. I mean, I It's always... different, isn't it? When you're a kind of teenager when you're a kid, like, that age gap, like you said, sounds really awful. Once you get a bit older in your 20s and 30s, that sort of thing no, matters. Exactly, more, yeah. yeah.
1: Well, I tell you, I mean, I, I walked into the team, team preparation conference, you know, ahead of the holiday, all the teams get together and. I walked in and, you know, there was Debbie Calvert in the in the entrance hall. And I I just thought, Debbie Calvert, you have changed in in lots of good ways, you know? And uh I just thought, wow. And uh she yeah, I just thought, wow, she's hot and she's she's funny and she's intelligent and she's got such a deep, sincere faith and yeah, so I I then, you know, spent the holiday really trying to hit on her, um, which she claims uh, that she didn't realise, right? <laughs> so I was kind of, you know, trying to spend all the time... And it's hard, because you're in front of a group of teenagers, you know, the whole time, who, yeah. the moment there's any kind any of romantic anything. spark between the team, you know they're going to sniff it out and make it really hard work. So at the lunch breaks, you know, in the ski lodges, I try and feed Debbie these... Illicit uh, uh, brandy laced uh, drinks, you know, because the team aren't supposed to drink oh, while you're on those the, holidays. Wow. Quite it's, rightly, quite rightly. The revelation is coming out of this um, interview right now. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Can we edit this? I hope I don't might uh, get hauled in front of some border. Anyway, we, that's what happened. And um, but Debbie claims never to have realised that that's what I was doing. Right. So I thought I was flirting outrageously. Mm. Um as I think I suspect some men yeah. may may Absolutely. empathize with yeah. me in this. I thought I was f- flirting outrageously. Yeah. Debbie is like, no, you weren't flirting at all. You know, why didn't you make it more obvious? <laughs> but she 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 did say to me it is weird on that holiday because I was a much better skier in the afternoons. I was just so much more loose and you know, confident. And I was like, yeah, I'll yeah. tell you
0: why. The brandy, that's that's brilliant. I love the story. It's in the book as well. The story of one of your first dates really amused me as well, Of the restaurant the restaurant story in London. Oh, my gosh. Do you want to tell that story?
1: Well, she, Debbie still reminds me of this from time from to time. This is so bad. But I was three hours late to our first date. That's, a, that's quite a long time. That is quite bad, isn't it? And uh, I was driving from Cardiff to London. and That's you know, a long just, way to go, by yeah, the way. Right. So I was making an effort in yeah. my defence. Uh, did you get caught in rush hour traffic? I got something? caught in rush hour traffic, indeed. And uh, anyway, we ended up going to this. Debbie had waited for me, which is is a pretty good sign on your first date. If a girl waits for you for, for three, three hours. hours. Wow, yeah. Um, you know that you know that you're in with a chance. Anyway, I thought, how do I redeem this situation? So, you know, we went out to this this meal. I was trying to be super nice, and um, but Debbie, you need to know Debbie Debbie Debbie's quite competitive, right? And so anyway, we were having a lovely time, and we were at this Lebanese place, and there was a plate in one of the dishes had come with a, a plate of chilies um, if you wanted to to take them. And I thought, I, because I'd been in Mexico, I thought, I recognised some of those. and They're pretty hot chilies. Mm. Debbie didn't, and she said, thought they were sweet peppers. <laughs> so Debbie says to me, oh, do you want any sweet peppers? I said, uh, no, Debs, I, I, I think they're, they're chilies." Yeah. She said, no, no, no. They are sweet peppers. I said, well, I'm not going to have them, because I, I think they're pretty hot chillies. She said, I'll show you. She's picked up three, popped them in her mouth, and started chewing. Oh. Well, her face went <laughs> from the sort of beautiful light hand that she had through pink to just like, you know, purple sweat. <laughs> she she downed her drink. She reached across the table and downed my drink. By this time, she was crying. Oh, then she no. grabbed the jug, you know. <laughs> and she couldn't speak for 10 minutes. All of the other people in the restaurant were looking at me wanting to kill me because they thought, you know, I'd, I'd like dumped this poor girl or something. Made her cry. <laughs> made her cry, driven her to drink, you know. So I, I, was, I was lucky to get out of there with my... With my life. Wow, well, what a great story. Of <laughs> so course,
0: you, you and De- you know...
1: My busking and my dating uh, <laughs> techniques kind of, you know,
0: go it hand in hand. It all worked out in the end and you and Debbie have since part of the church and we'll move on to talk about that in a moment. But before we get there, um, so, so your work is an accountant in the city. Now, my perception of that kind of a job is it's incredibly well paid. Some would say lucrative. You could probably get accustomed to a very nice uh, lifestyle with a job like that. Was was that the case for you?
1: Uh, well, hand on height, it probably was. Um, to be honest uh, I, I suppose I do fit that caricature a bit um, you know I, I wasn't working for the money um, but I enjoyed the money that came uh, I, I worked for, I, I mean I was I was very fortunate in that I worked for a great firm um, I, that had good leadership and and became yeah, I mean reasonably good at it and um, they were looking and I was looking to progress in my career and sure that the, yeah. the upper I mean, echelons of, of the partners in that firm were earning yeah. megabucks. I
0: think you say in the book, you know, the, the kind of long-term career plan would be to kind of get to where your bosses were. And you're talking about, you know, £600,000 salary. This is this is some serious money. So the question is, of course, what made you give up that career path and, and go off and study theology at Oxford?
1: Yeah, well, I think, you know, I'd, I'd, have told, I'd have talked a really good game at the time about the importance of having uh, Christian people working in the city... Um, uh, and, and uh, uh, receiving the remuneration that comes with it and, and funneling that into the church and, and so on. And I really do believe in that. I mean, I think it's incredibly important mm, yeah. that uh, working men and women are supported and equipped and that the kingdom is built and established uh, in those places, in the corporate world. It's incredibly important that we, we help people connect their, their faith to their work. Uh, the, as a friend of mine, Ken Costa says, so that their, their workstation can become their worship station that 's really what i 'm all about and and i 'd have talked a really good game about yeah that 's what i 'm trying to do um, when it came to it for me personally uh, uh, this other as i 've said earlier, you know, I felt really uncomfy about the idea that uh, I might be called out of that into ordination, and I mean, you mentioned the money. Uh, for me personally, no, I'm not proud of this, but the money actually had more of a hold on me than I realised. Um, I wasn't earning it anywhere near the you know the mega bucks you've, you've mentioned, but I mean, the the money that I was receiving uh, had more of a grip on me than I realised. I think it would on anyone. Well, I don't know. I know I know some amazing people who I think are are able to handle uh, wealth. With with real godly wisdom and and courage, and and are incredibly generous um, with it. But yeah, I mean, I, I perhaps there's others who, who who struggle with that, and I think I was more in that in that group, if I'm honest. Even though I'd have talked a really good game mm. about it. Um, and I thought, you know, we're, we're putting in a, a decent-sized tithe every month yeah. and helping the church, you know, offerings on top of that. We're able to be generous to these other things. It's
0: pretty easy to sort of rationalise, uh, you know...
1: Well, sadly, I found that to be the case, yeah, but... but You think, well, you know,
0: yes, yes, it's a lot of money. Yes, it's a comfortable life, lifestyle. But like you say, I'm putting a lot into God's kingdom, putting a lot back into the church. But, yeah, but you did feel called away from that ultimately into... Well, I
1: think the issue is, you know, you mentioned the word call cool there. And, and the purpose of it is incredibly important mm. uh, at a certain level because I think actually to have progressed within the corporate world, uh, it's incredibly difficult and very challenging. And I think feeling called to that is just as essential, uh, actually, as as feeling called into ministry and, mm. and church leadership, which is also very difficult. I mean, right. a very yeah. different set of challenges. But I think it's essential that, that we, all of us, have a sense of... God's call for our lives, uh, what what actually God wants us uh, to do, or or the way He wants us to do whatever is in He puts in front of us. That feeling of purpose, that that inner cause, gives us a, a drive and, and an energy and a sense that uh, we are with God and God is with us, and and we're doing this by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by our own. Uh, independence um, that is really important for Mm. anyone and looking back i didn't really have that Mm. for the commercial world um whereas the more i considered church leadership actually i kind of discovered you know as a process of discerning yes i I discovered yeah i think that's what god has me but in the end it took a bit of a step uh of faith i had to you know it took some courage um, and I approached it very cowardly um, right until the last moment where I actually thought I need to resign and, and and go for it. I don't want to spend the rest of my life thinking what if, you know. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. I'm
0: Sam Hales interviewing Tim Matthews today on The Profile. This is the show where we delve into a person's life, faith and testimony and today we're really hearing the story of how Tim and his wife Debbie planted a new church in bournemouth it's st swithens also known as love church and as we've been hearing it's been a difficult journey and he's been opening up about really the highs and the lows of that experience there's loads more to come in part two so don't go anywhere we'll be right back with the second half of my interview with tim matthews right after this premier christianity magazine in this month's issue We
1: speak with best-selling Christian author Francine Rivers, whose hugely popular novel Redeeming Love defined a generation. In this rare interview, she explains how her most loved characters came to life and reveals the reason she doesn't want people reading some of her books. Plus, does believing in God give you an edge in the boxing ring? The man who trained former heavyweight champion Tyson Fury seems to think so. And discover the true
0: meaning of five important biblical words. All this and more in November's issue. For your free copy, visit premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. Good news. We've slashed the cost of subscribing to the UK's leading Christian magazine. Now you can read news from a Christian perspective and interviews with fascinating leaders for half the normal price. That's 12 issues of Premier Christianity magazine for less than £20. Plus, take out a subscription and we'll enter you into a prize draw to win £200 worth of new Christian books. There's never been a better time to subscribe. Go to premierchristianity.com forward slash subscribe. The Profile You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Good afternoon, you're listening to Premier Christian Radio with me, Sam Hales. This is The Profile, the show where we look at a person's life, faith and testimony. And today I'm talking to Tim Matthews from Love Church in Bournemouth. It's an amazing story of how just a small team moved down from London to Bournemouth in the summer of 2014 to begin a new work. And now Sunday attendance across both of St Swithin's sites is regularly over 600 people. How did it happen? What was the journey for the church leader, Tim Matthews? We finished part one with Tim talking about this call to ministry that came about after he was working in the City of London and he was trying to discern whether God
1: was calling him to be a church leader. Let's pick up the conversation now. We were still at a fantastic church down in Peckham, All Saints Peckham. Uh, That's where we, Debbie and I had had really got together. That's where we were married. The vicar at that time is a lovely bloke, very wise um, and fun guy called called Frog or Ewing. It's fun just because he's called Frog. <laughs> he's you know, you Frog. don't meet many vicars called Frog. <laughs> um, but actually, when it reached the stage for me of needing to talk to someone, I talked to Frog and I just said, look, I just can't believe that God would call me into church leadership. I don't feel at all the right type for it. And Frog said, well, does the future church need more of the same leaders we've got right now or different kind of leaders? And I sort of thought, well, I suppose it needs different leaders because lots of new stuff's got to occur and we need to turn around a, a, a bit of a tricky situation. And, you know, the UK's becoming an increasingly kind of a missional context rather than a pastoral context and all that. And Frog said, well, there you go. If you're a different leader, you're going to be looking at the church at the moment thinking that I'm not a match for it. Yeah. But actually, God's God's wanting you for the future. Absolutely. So wow. his faith really helped me. In, wise,
0: and, uh, wise answer from Frog.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. He's a wise man.
0: <laughs> so uh, so as I say, you went to Oxford study theology. And uh, and then after that, I think you ended up at HTB where you were for, for six years. Yes. And it's interesting in the book, you write that for most of the six years you spent at HTB, you were trying to leave.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, they they after my first, the end of my first year, uh, the whole you know church plants began to come up. The possibility of church plants—that's what we wanted to do. So, Debs and I started working on on uh, trying to trying to plant a church to out. Leave and go and plant a church uh, out. Of yeah, I mean, I yeah. joke with you know the, the HDB guys. You know, they were trying <laughs> to get rid of me, and I was trying to get rid of them. But actually, the truth was, HDB was an amazing place to be. And uh, we learnt so much there. Yeah, and are I mean, so this is you know, if you, if you
0: don't know, this is the kind of home of the the Alpha Course, which yeah. is now just this internationally renowned course. It's the home of things like the Marriage Course. Uh, Nikki and Silla Lee who have written a lot about about relationships. It's where Worship Central came out of with Tim Hughes and those guys. So, you know, the, the influence of HTB, I think many people will recognise, is 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 absolutely huge. And I guess in recent years, as you say, what we've seen is HTB now start to plant out not only into other areas of London, but now other areas of the country um so whether it's brighton or bournemouth which obviously we'll talk about or up in birmingham um and i think other places that don't begin with b um as as well Um, (laughs) yeah norwich doesn't begin with a with a B. um so yeah so tell me more about this kind of time you're on htb because it was amazing to read in the book you know you, you talk about you wanted, you felt called by God to plant a church, and there were all of these different opportunities coming up, and yet so many times you would think you're about to go somewhere, and it would fall through. And I think the number you quote is twelve times yeah. that happened for you, which yeah. must have just been so so difficult of living with something, saying God, we're called to this, and then it it not coming through. So, so share some of the stories of of that time and and how you managed to to persevere through that kind of difficulty. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, as you say, it was a story of two halves. Because on the one half uh, was getting to hang out with, you know, these amazing leaders, Nikki Gumble, Nikki Lee, uh, Ken Costa, Tim Hughes, Pete Gregg of twenty four seven who was there leading the the prayer uh, ministry at that time. You know, many others. And um so on the one hand it was an extraordinary time for a um uh, 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 to be part of and learning from people um, like that. You know, Al Gordon, who's gone on to lead St. John at uh, Hackney and uh, the amazing work that's now happening there. I learnt so much from him and the other, you know, all the guys involved in Alpha, as you say. Um, so there was this, on the one hand, it was an incredible place to be part of. And then on the other was this story of failure after failure after failure, 12 projects that came and went. Some of them very painfully. Um, So, because you know, when you're going to plant out a church, um, you know, it it reaches a certain stage where you really have to imagine moving your family there, what schools they're going to go to, what where you're going to live, what's the nature of the project. You spend a lot of time talking to people, doing the research, building up your plans, praying like anything for these projects. You kind of emotionally have to, you really begin to move towards that and and kind of god you you're believing at the time that that's a god thing that god's given you mm. a, a a a compassion uh, a a missional vision for that place and so you you really emotionally move towards it and of course then it's uh, the truth is a lot of factors a lot of different factors have to come together um to plant churches and uh, i mean it's becoming uh, easier i hope and i believe mm. um to do that but yeah. I mean, I mean I you guess, know, 10 years ago now that wasn't, yeah. that wasn't the case and I
0: guess it's worth talking about this within the context of, of the church you're in so this is church planting within the context of the Church of England and HTB's vision as I understand it has been to kind of revitalise often existing churches, existing church buildings that may have closed down or go derelict and kind of go in and almost replant and start something there. Now that's quite a different way of thinking about church planting for some people. There'll be other in more kind of new streams of church who will think about church planting as well you kind of start from scratch with a life group and then you kind of build your own purpose-built building so 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 what, what would you be your response to the kind of criticism that says well actually in the 21st century don't we need modern purpose-built buildings isn't that actually more cost-effective over time rather than trying to keep these older buildings open can you explain some of the rationale behind behind why you tend to go for the existing church of england kind of buildings
1: well i mean you're absolutely right sam that what really matters in this country is the church in england uh, rather than the Church of England. Uh, you know, there's only Jesus has only got one body. There's only one church. Uh, the Church of England is a part of it, uh, but joined to all the others. And we are learning so much uh, within the Church of England, learning so much from those other church planting uh, streams. Um, but I do believe that the Church of England still has a role to play. I think part of it, um, when you refer to the buildings... Part of it is still that the Church of England and Church of England buildings have something of a kind of iconic role in many communities. You know, you, you look at a map, uh, lots of the street names are named after the church. Uh, uh, you look at the schools, many of the schools are named uh, after the same as what well, the church, yeah. the hospitals, um, other things. So, and the location of church buildings is often right in the heart of. Of communities, mm. and that's been the that was certainly the case for us at St. Swithens, but even more so at our first church plant out of St. Swithuns. Uh, we partnered with a um, church in the middle of what had been described to us as the most deprived community in the southwest, uh, Boscombe, uh, a, a neighbourhood in, in a deprived neighbourhood in Bournemouth, um, and there was a Church of England church there called St. Clements. Uh, where numbers had dwindled but a, a faith-filled courageous small congregation there who had kept that building going mm. and that site but who actually were desperate to see mission occur desperate for the, their church schools to be better supported mm. yeah um, and so we partnered with them yeah. but I it's mean, iconic within within Boscombe St Clement's it has is iconic mm. Um, yeah, I mean, there's this phrase
0: that gets used quite a lot in kind of B circles that, I, that has been really interesting to come across, which is empty church buildings are like an empty palace of a long forgotten king. People walk past and think that the king is dead. And this sense that actually, if you have an empty church building in a local community, that might say that might give a negative impression to those who live there. Uh, and, and there's something to be said for kind of... Yeah, I mean, I think that,
1: I, that quote uh, originated... Uh, that wasn't an HDB quote. That's, that's um, an, another archdeacon within, the, with, within London Diocese. Uh, but, but I think it's right. Um, see, see I, we, we don't get to choose... I don't get to choose what someone who is unchurched and what an unchurched young person in Bournemouth thinks about the church. I don't get to choose. Uh, I wish they didn't have the negative preconceptions that they carry, but many of them do mm. and it's kind of part of my job is to break that negative preconception mm. and so i go i was, you know I go to uh, talking my hairdresser, or whatever saying you know that that my starting point is god's love uh, The bible says God is love, love is God's core characteristic uh we also, universally, humans' core need is for love. You know, the Beatles got that right. You know, all you need is love. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what we find is that there is a match between our core need and God's core characteristic. Uh, and, of course, that's that's you, where you see that met is on the cross of Christ, but it's experienced in and through God's people through the church. And mm. so you, when you, when the church it is the place where, where that that match can occur mm. and be experienced and felt as as people experience the love of god yeah. through his spirit and god's people and so um we, we try really hard to break that negative preconception mm. yeah. that the the church of england is basically about a cold drafty stone um co- uh, boring austere building in 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 which there are some ceremonies uh experienced in a jargon that i don't understand dressed by people um whose whose the symbol symbolic references i don't get yeah um it's alien yeah uh, and it's not particularly welcoming and i i just can't um enter into what's going on yeah and it makes me feel like an outsider when i go yeah um I, we, we try really hard to to break that preconception and i th- I think that is happening Mm. all around the Church of England now. Mm. Um, People uh, invariably you know I've spoken to a lot of people who have gone to their local Church of England church and been surprised at the warmth of welcome and um, how engaging services are.
0: I think you know we we do just live in a a culture and a climate now where so many people are just completely disengaged from anything church or Christian related. I mean, it was fascinating after the royal wedding to hear people talk about Bishop Michael Curry's sermon about wow, he was so full of passion and energy. And you, some people were sort of saying, y- you do realise there are lots of churches in many denominations up and down the country with that style of passionate yeah. preaching, both inside and outside of the yeah. Church of England. But as you say, people just don't know that, do they? Because they're not going to church and they're not hearing well, it. Well, we've got to, we've got
1: to, we've got to overcome that that uh, view. And I think. Um, Thank God I think that will that is being overcome. I mean, you know, you look at the church in the UK now, not just the Church of England, but across. You think, well, who's running the food banks? That's the church. Uh, who's still educating um, a huge number of children in our nation? That's the church. Uh, who's looking after isolated, vulnerable older people? Well, the church is doing a huge job there. You know, you look at, uh, particularly in our age of austerity, as as some of the services have been, uh, uh, you know, wound back, I think it's the church that's mm. picking up uh, a lot of that. You know, caring for ex-offenders is another big area. In Bournemouth, uh, addictions and addiction recovery is a massive theme, and that's been a, a huge um, and very exciting part of yeah. the, the ministry that we've been involved with. And I've seen people experience freedom in Jesus that's not theoretical, Um it's it, or, or, or in an intellectual belief it's a yeah. it's a felt life-changing yeah. thing the
0: the book is really honest and open as you say about some of the ups and downs i, I wanted to read out this section from chapter seven so this is before really the, the church this is always
1: dangerous sam when people read back your own <laughs> book at you and you think oh my god, <laughs> did goodness. i really write that yeah
0: um well i think you know it just it just shows some of the reality because again i think when some people think of holy trinity brompton and church part they just think oh yeah there's loads of resources it's really easy they go in there and the churches suddenly grow and and what's so what i appreciate about the book is you're very honest about it's not as easy as that anyway this is beginning of chapter 7 no turning back where you say everything had gone wrong it looked as if St Swithin's wouldn't be happening after all there was a lot of local resistance to the idea of a new church plant especially moving to a building the church thing has sold off such a long time ago we had no money to buy it and the owners were in conversation with a developer who had seemingly unlimited funds None of the Church of England's houses in Bournemouth were available for us to move into. There were no school places for our children. The diocese couldn't agree on the legal structure of the new ministry and seemed to be getting cold feet. I was getting demoralised. We had no joy recruiting a team to come to us. Understandably, given all this, the HTB leadership began to doubt the project was ever going to happen and started to ask if I should look elsewhere. It paid me to admit that they might be right. So this must have been a kind of rock bottom a lot of the book
1: is like a bit more positive than that
0: <laughs> <laughs> this was a kind no. of rock bottom well, we will talk about the positive bits of the book but you know I've got to be honest i I, I yeah. come across quite a lot of books about church planning, and not all of them a lot of them let's say are not as open about the downsides and I say I think there is a perception sometimes of, of, of big movements like HTB where it all kind of just looks like it all works and I think it's fascinating to realise there were these 12 attempts that you had before this that we haven't yeah. even gone into that yeah. didn't work out but tell me more about this moment where you're getting rock bottom, yeah. well, you're at rock bottom. And the HTB leadership even were beginning to doubt whether you could actually move down to, to Bournemouth because there was local resistance and all, lack yeah. of school places and all these things that you mentioned.
1: So, so yeah. what happened next? Well, I, as you say, I, I just thought, here we go again, God. This is a, another failure. Uh, you mentioned all those other failed projects that we've been through. And I think um, God had taught us perseverance um, looking back. Um, and I remember Nikki saying to me, Nikki Gumbel, that is who I worked for, the, the, the priest there, the vicar there at HDB. Um, at that time, the the time that you mentioned there, saying to me, Tim, you know, at some point you're going to look back on all these failed projects and that a project will come along that you'll think this is what all those failures, all that I've learned in those failures um, is, is, is for this and for this time. And I remember saying to Nikki, uh, this project is that one. I think, Sam, for me, Debbie and I, by that stage, uh, were were utterly convinced that this was what God was calling us to do, to plant to Bournemouth. Actually, to be quite honest with you, by that stage, I sort of considered, well, if the Church of England don't want to uh, send me to Bournemouth. Uh, what do I do, God? Do I need to resign and um, just you know go and start a church on ourselves? What do? I, how do I obey you in this if the Church of England doesn't want to do it? But and it, that wasn't a sort of heroic like da, da, here we come to save Bournemouth in the power of Jesus. It was. It wasn't. It was broken. It was. It was desperate. It, and it was born of prayer. You know, up to that point, I just spent. Um, six months or more um, praying um, for Bournemouth. And, you know, I used to go down there on uh, train journeys from London and day, you know, trudge around in the rain, prayer walking. And
0: you even took some soil back to did, London yeah. with you at one point and, and prayed over it, didn't you?
1: Well, I think the thing with with prayer that I've learned is that, it, you know, again, it's it's not something you learn when you're kind of in heroic mode. Um, it's something that's learnt. Uh, w- w- in the difficult times, yeah, there was a time where I, I went down, trudged around in the rain, and I thought, how do I keep this prayer going? I was utterly convinced, despite all the evidence, God wanted us to start a church in this St. Swi- uh, the site of St. Swithin's. It looked absolutely impossible. So I thought, well, wh- what else can I do but pray? There was nothing else I could do. I thought, well, how do I keep this prayer going then, God? So, I had a, one of those little Tupperware plastic boxes with me in my, in my soggy sandwiches for lunch, you know, chuck those in the bin and, and scooped up some soil. The thing about the soil around the site is quite sandy soil in Bournemouth, and it, it, a lot of pine trees, so it's quite aromatic. And back in London, then, in, yeah, very often in my quiet times, I had a tiny, tiny box room desk in there, some books. That's where I used to pray in our, in our house. And I'd get a sheet, a big sheet of paper, and pour out that soil. On the floor, I'd take my shoes off, and I'd I'd stand in the <laughs> in the soil, and I could smell it, and you know that, that I sort of gave my whole body to 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 praying um, each day for the site. Yeah, you know that for for a long time, the only place where the that church um, plant existed was was in prayer. That's what mm, it was born out of. Yeah, and and it happened. Well, it did happen. I think it re- reached the stage where actually. We kind of had. There's times in life where you have to put your neck on the block. Uh, That that is what Chapter Seven talks about. There you
0: go. So we need to bring this more up to date. And I'd I'd love to hear. You know what. I guess what went right, you know, you've been really open about some of your failures stuff that went wrong, but what went right when you moved down to Bournemouth and because we are now talking about you know, a thriving, very successful church, probably no longer accurate to describe it as a church plant because it's functioning by itself. You've even planted out, as you mentioned into Boscombe. So what went right and what was the kind of journey of, of once you moved down there and it's starting to grow, what, what do you kind of attribute that to?
1: Well, I mean, it's a lot of different factors and, and, uh, you know, some of it is stuff that's far outside of my control. Um, but I suppose there's three things that just come to mind. And number one is the prayer. Uh, that has continued. Uh, we still pray an awful lot. And as I say, that's not born of a strength or a, uh, a, a, a you know, deep resource. It's born of desperation. We mm. still carry this, oh, God, you know, would you would you revisit uh, Bournemouth? Would you save Bournemouth? I, I, it's, it's painful sometimes to carry. I, I feel that compassion for unchurched younger generations younger people in Bournemouth who who don't know that Jesus loves them um and and uh, if only they did you know I, their lives would be so much better there's so much that god has for them um their lives would be so good uh, and I, I, I don't want them to miss out on that um so it's it prayer i think the, third, the second thing sorry is 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 we put worship first and foremost so uh, the first team member that we hired was a worship leader
0: that's pretty unusual isn't it i mean often the first person is a administrator or a
1: um youth worker maybe yeah i mean we we just felt we've got to put worship at the core of this i i think i'd become convinced by that so maybe i've hung around tim hughes for too long but (laughs) well, uh, blame tim hughes yeah blame tim hughes (laughs) uh bless tim and rachel hughes where would we be without them goodness but um but i'd become convinced that when you look at the history of god's people through the old testament um it's especially clear but it's the same in the new testament basically everything everything hinges on their worship life you know when when their worship life goes south god's people get into trouble uh, whereas where where worship is put at the core of the nation's identity and their activity and there's huge investment into it first and foremost that's when things go well. Mm. Even the returning exile, even even you know when everything's gone wrong and they've been exiled, and the, the returning exile, what's the first thing they do? Rebuild the altar. The first place that they go to. It's not the walls. It's not rebuilding the walls that comes first. It's rebuilding the altar. It's worship. reestablishing worship um, uh, in response to Daniel's prayer. You know, you get prayer and then you move straight into worship. And so we've kind of followed that pattern. Mm. So the first employee we we hired was a worship leader the first thing we spent money on was uh, the PA mm-hmm. uh, you know the the, the, the equipment to um, uh, r- really run contemporary worship well we actually spent money on that before spending money on Bibles I, I hope that's not sacrilegious to say it but we we, we put a big emphasis on yeah. that um, and that continues um, our guys now have you know they've, they've uh, bought out this little EP called Rise Up and we're beginning to see songs written now uh, in context for Bournemouth by people in Bournemouth we're beginning to see worship leaders trained and um, you know, developed f- going to other churches in Bournemouth which is wonderful um, so we're right at the beginning of that but nevertheless that can continues and then the third thing is the team I mean I do very little there is an amazing team of people Uh, now across both churches and you know i thank god for that every day debbie and i thought we were going to be quite lonely um that was our number one fear probably in 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 leaving london where we had great friends and going down to bournemouth actually it couldn't have been um proved more wrong we've had there are incredible friends there um who we can do life with but also a very skilled team of people you know i I mean, 99 out of every 100 things to do in the church, I can think of someone better than me to do it. And God has just given us an amazing team of people. And really, it's my role to, um, you know, I say to them now, I don't say to my team, here's what I want you to do. I say to them, what do you want from me to do what God's calling you to do? What, mm. How can I support and encourage and shout you on? Yes, Because it... you're doing the stuff. And yes. that's not just the staff, that's the lay leaders, it's the ministry heads, It's it's just people... All over the place, mm. doing this amazing work. Yeah,
0: and you write in the book actually about some of your kind of philosophy of, of leadership. You actually say one of the reasons why maybe we don't have more big churches in the UK is is the way we've kind of divided up leadership. And you talk about the distinction between a senior operational leader and a senior pastoral leader. Um, and the need, the need for both. Can you explain what the difference is there? I mean, is this some of what you've been saying already about you kind of almost cheer on the team um, and you're a kind of big picture visionary guy, but you let other people get on with it and that being quite an unusual model?
1: Yeah, well, I don't know if it's unusual, but I mean, I, th- I think the best leaders in, in, in any kind of organisation, um, the best leaders, uh, I think, see themselves as the servant of others. Um, I was really interested recently reading um, Alex Ferguson's, you know, the the football coach, uh, his book on leadership. And he talked about the difference when he was a player and he was an on-field captain and kind of, you know, leading the charge, being the talisman figure, to when he became an off-field coach. Mm. He had to enjoy a different set of activities. He had to enjoy seeing other people succeed rather than himself succeed. Yeah, And uh, I think... The more that leaders, uh, people grow as leaders mm. when they um, when they begin to enjoy seeing other people succeed mm. and begin to sort of think, how can I help this person succeed a- and serve them and love them? You know, there are times where you've got to uh, direct operations in a kind of command and control uh, mm. thing. You know, if there's a crisis going on and everyone's looking at you, you know, it's not it's not a great thing to sort of go. Well, what does everyone else think? You know, they're looking at you to like, oh, ah, help. Um, but actually, you, if you stay in that mode too long, people feel, yes. well, yeah. I'm not trusted. I'm not. I'm not getting the chance to, mm. the, the autonomy, the auton- autonomy, the creative space mm. to do what I feel God's yeah. calling me to do. I'm really just serving someone else's agenda all the time.
0: I imagine one of the biggest challenges in doing something like this is. Uh, when it comes to other churches and you wanting to sort of turn up and you wanting to be a help but you also don't want to sort of come charging in and give the wrong impression as you say that you're you're the kind of savior of Bournemouth when other people are doing good works you probably want to manage relationships well with other church leaders but but also connected to that is is how do you stop people from other churches leaving where they're at and thinking oh it's a it's a new htb church plant oh i quite like you know the songs they do or i quite like their philosophy i'm going to leave my church and join them I mean, to a certain extent, there's probably nothing you can do to stop that happening. But, you know, if people are going to move, they're going to move. But but what were the considerations, both with trying to network with other local church leaders and, and also trying to make sure you're not, to use a silly phrase, but I understand it gets used in church leader circles, sheep stealing.
1: <laughs> uh, well, there's a couple of different things there. I mean, I mean, first of all, you know, it is a question of leadership, um, as we were talking about, you know, and I, I learned from some amazing leaders um, at HDB. I mean, Nikki, Nikki Gumball is... Uh, he 's the real deal you know he 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 taught me so much. He's a very very um godly man and he even though he actually is an incredible incredibly skilled operator he listens to people and he 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 serves and loves people and um you know and the younger leaders around him and um so when I went, when I first went down to Bournemouth and, and the, the bishops and archdeacons would introduce me to the other church leaders who understandably had a lot of questions about what was being proposed. Um, I mean, don't forget, you know, now there's more, there's more and more talk about church plants. It's more and more in the common parlance. But, you know, this was, so now this is like five, five and a half years ago. There was less of that. There was more suspicion. Um, and, and more misunderstanding, more mm. potential for misunderstanding. So when I met those other leaders, you know, I, I just did everything I could to refute any idea that they had, that I was somehow coming in, riding in, you know, blowing the trumpets, going, here we are to, you know, do what you're not doing or whatever ridiculous notion. I I took quite the opposite stance. So I would, I would beg them for a cup of coffee. And then... Say, look, here's what the bishop wants us to do, is and is inviting us to do. But I know nothing. Uh, I've got nothing. You're here. You're in context. You've got all the wisdom. Please, would you help me? Because I don't know. You know, I need to learn from you. I need to understand w- what you know. Uh, in if if together we're mm. to do what the the bishops and our leaders are inviting us to do and so i'd always come in and take the lower now it wasn't strategy Mm. sam that's the difference you've got to have integrity with it It, i wasn't trying to you know get around them as a clever you actually wanted
0: you actually wanted their advice you weren't just putting it on
1: i yeah well and but i never thought of us as oh we really know what we're doing oh what are these guys playing at you know we'll show them i never thought that And I I don't know any, I don't know, genuinely, I I don't know any church planters who do feel that. Whereas I think, you know, sometimes people look at the, you know, the smoothie bars and smoke machines and shiny guitars and think, oh, you know, these guys just, you know, Mm. they think they're God's gift to church planting. What do they know? And it puts people's backs up quite understandably. Um, So, yeah, I think taking the, the low and that amazingly other church leaders in Bournemouth responded with such grace. Uh, to us and faith and courage, you know, more than one said, this is exactly what we need, um, even though it was going to cause disruption for them. Mm. Um, uh, we we had we had help and support from people when we started. We didn't have any chairs. Right. And I suddenly I mean, because I was poor at planning, I didn't realize quite that we didn't have enough chairs until about two three days before we launched actually because my expectation was of something really small and we got the notion that quite a lot of people were going to start turning up possibly and so i thought oh gosh you know the 30 or 40 chairs that we've got aren't going to be enough so some of those other church leaders i just rang around saying help you've got a chair? one church leader said you can have our chairs um they're all up uh our old chairs are up in the up in the uh, tower loft They're covered in pigeon poo, but you can have them. So we went, you know, scrubbing down all these chairs. But there was another church leader who said, oh, you're going to need more chairs than that, Tim, this Sunday. I will drive some over to you. And bless him, you know, before his own church service started that Sunday morning, he was driving over chairs. So it's amazing. putting yourself at other people's mercy really helps. On the transfer growth uh, thing, you know, all I can do is, is prove that that's not true. Um, I mean, our, we, we actually do an annual church survey uh, that proves it's not true. Okay,
0: so you actually know how many people are kind of... We do. ...new and how many people are, are not, yeah. Yeah, we do. Do you know the numbers off the top of your head, roughly, on what that would be? So there's, there's 600 people there, roughly, at yeah, the moment?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it, it, it comes in... Um, uh, a, 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 there's different groups, is the answer. So because we're a new uh, Anglican church... There are there were some people in Bournemouth who were always after a, a, a contemporary uh, worship-led mm. informal uh, thing that 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 came and they were worshiping in they had gone and joined non-Church of England places for a, a couple of years, yeah, and I, but actually really wanted to return right, to sure. the Church so yeah, that, yeah. that's that's fine, yeah. Um, but the the two groups that were the the main groups was number one. Uh, Christians who hadn't been in church for a very long time. Right, okay. One family comes to mind where actually the, the young daughter had been bought by her granny on one of our first Sundays. Loved Sunday school. Went back home, told her mum and dad, you're taking me to church next Sunday. They said, no, 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 no. Sunday is about papers, coffee, sports. Mm. Uh, you can go with gran again. Well, Gran couldn't take her, so she spent the whole week absolutely nagging them. The dad eventually gave in, brought her back. He's been every Sunday since. Wow. He bought. He hadn't been in church for twenty years. Bought his yeah. wife. Um, she eventually through Alpha came to faith. Uh, we've run Alpha every uh, term. That's been incredibly important for us. Massive uh, engine for church mm. growth. Yeah, um, and lots besides. Yeah, and she, and. Uh, the wife came to faith, the 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 young girl's older brother came to faith, and that family is now core. So there was a, there's a lot of people like that. And then sure, there's people who've come to faith with no church background whatsoever. In fact there's there's people who've come to faith at at St Swithin's who's who simply googled it and have turned up not even knowing anyone who was there, you know, not not having a friendship or relationship yeah. at all. So wow. I think that the the, the you know, there is some transfer growth, but hand on heart, church planters don't want it. No. And many people who transfer in uh, come with unrealistic expectations or high pastoral need. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, that, that's not helpful. Hand on heart, some is very helpful. And I think that's where the Holy Spirit, um, we must allow him to redistribute his, his people, send uh, leaders, people who come with a, Not a mindset to consume, but to serve. Um, We had some very gracious uh, other churches in Bournemouth who who commissioned Mm. some uh, one or two people to come in in, on that basis, and so I think you do need that. But you know, there's only one church in Bournemouth. We keep saying that Jesus has only got one body. There's only one church. You can't, you can't leave one church and join another. It's just, uh, we're all in this together. Well, there's so much
0: more I would love to ask you about, Tim. Um, but unfortunately, we are out of time. If you want to find out more, I highly recommend Love Church, Join the Adventure of Hope by Tim Matthews, published by Hodder and Stoughton. It's out now. Uh, the story of how St Swithin started with just 11 adults and now around 600 people are worshipping across two sites every Sunday. Tim, it's been great to hear your story. Thanks so much for coming in. Sam, thank you. I'm Sam Hales, and you've been listening to the Profile Podcast brought to you by Premier Christian Radio in association with Premier Christianity magazine. That's the UK's leading Christian magazine, and we have got a very special offer on for you right now. Would you like a year's subscription for half the normal price? If you would, and you want to subscribe right now, we will also enter you into a prize draw to win £200 worth of new Christian books. It really is a fantastic offer. It's our special half-price offer, which we have extended a little bit longer so you can still take advantage... If you hurry now to our website, premierchristianity.com forward slash subscribe. Here's what you'll get. You're going to get 12 issues of the UK's leading Christian magazine in print, direct through your letterbox each and every month. You're also going to get full online access to our website, including over 10 years worth of archived material. You're also going to get entered into that prize draw to win £200 worth of Christian books. All of that for less than £20 for your first year forward slash subscribe if you're already a subscriber then thank you it's people like you who make podcasts like this possible and if of course you have been enjoying today's episode and i hope you have we'd be really grateful if you would share it with others why not stick a post out on social media why not give us a rating and a review wherever you found this podcast share it with your friends we would be really really grateful tim matthews has been my guest on the show today if you'd like to hear more from tim i do recommend his book it's called Love Church, Join the Adventure of Hope. It is out now. It's published by Hodder and Stoughton. I highly recommend it. But for now, that does bring us to the end of the show. Thank you again for joining us, and we'll see you next time.